Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. We've got a great show for you tonight, this uh, Thursday, May 18th of 2017. Uh, looking forward to it. We've got a great, uh, great uh, couple of uh, professionals here coming on uh, in just a moment on Coach's Corner. Of course, we start that every Thursday. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by uh, the CEO and Director of Instruction at the uh, Bird Golf Academy, Jay Ewing. is going to be joining me in the second half of the show. Uh, but let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 for those of you here on the East Coast uh, here on blogtalkradio.com's uh, Golf Talk Live. And the best way to find us, of course, is go to blogtalkradio.com, type up in the search key Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And, of course, tonight's show will be front and center, as it always is uh, during the live broadcast. Uh, but for some reason, if you can't join us, not to worry. Just scroll down the page a little bit, and you'll see the on-demand section uh, where all of the archived or previously aired shows are, are left, and you can just scroll down and, and listen uh, when it's convenient for you. Uh, you can also go to iTunes.com, and in the podcast section, just, again, type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you there uh, for those of you that like to, uh, to go through iTunes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you always. Uh, you're welcome to call and speak to the guests at any time during the live broadcast on Thursdays. Uh, call area code 646 716-4667, uh, or you can email questions to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Also, if you're in the uh, golf business and uh, maybe you're interested in coming on to be a guest or uh, maybe you want to throw your hat in in the ring, as it were, on the Coach's Corner panel, there's still a few uh, spots left throughout the year. Uh, again, you can reach out to me personally on uh, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, which is, of course, my email address. Uh, always update, of course, on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO being in capital letters. Uh, as, as I mentioned, I've uh, got a great uh, Coach's Corner tonight. Uh, just a quick note, uh, there were going to be three joining me uh, tonight on the panel. Bill Abrams, uh, Catherine Roberts, of course, are, are going to be here tonight. But uh, Mike Fay, unfortunately, had to back out last minute due to a, a family uh, uh, issue and uh, un- unfortunately is going to be able to join us on the panel discussion tonight uh, but uh, sends his uh, 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 condolences if you will uh, and apologies for not being able to be on the show tonight but uh, assures me he will be on uh, as soon as he can in the next few weeks but uh, anyways uh, let me just uh, read a little bit about each of my, my guests uh, first half of the show uh, first up of course is Bill Abrams he's a PGA professional and the owner and director of instruction uh, for Golf Solutions Academy at the Balmoral Woods uh, course in uh, Illinois and also at the Carolina Club in Margate, Florida. Uh, he was also the 2015 Illinois PGA Professional of the Year and as well as the uh, top 50 growth of the game teacher uh, 2015 and 16 for the Golf Range Association of America and also as a U.S. Kids Golf Top 50 Master Teacher and uh, one of his specialties is making players smile and I like that. Um, as I said, Mike's not going to be joining us tonight but Catherine Roberts is uh, had this lady on 
before as a guest, and she's joining tonight on the panel, and she's the founder and president of Yoga for Golfers and has been a certified uh, uh, yoga instructor for many, many years. And uh, one of the things that uh, is, is interesting uh, about her, her uh, business is it helps harness and integrate power of the body with uh, power of the mind uh, to increase enhanced performance, enabling golfers of all levels to play better, play stronger, and play longer. And just a quick uh, side note as well, she's also very heavily involved uh, with her fitness uh, and performance and work, not just in golf, but also in Major League Baseball uh, with working with such great teams as the Oakland A's, LA Dodgers, San Diego Padres, uh, the Rangers in Texas, Milwaukee Brewers, and most notably, of course, the Chicago Cubs, who, of course, as we all know, uh, won the World Series. So uh, lots of great uh, great work done there by uh, Catherine Roberts. And, guys, welcome to uh, Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Thanks very much for having us tonight. Yeah, thank you, Ted. This is great. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I edited it down as best I could, Catherine. I'm sorry. I know you didn't want me to read it all out, but I got, I think, some of the highlights in there. Um, but anyways, uh, thanks, guys, for joining me. I, I know it's uh, not always easy to, to give of your time when we're all working very hard and diligently uh, throughout the, the day. But uh, just on my behalf, thank you guys for, uh, for doing that. Um, I want to start off with, with Bill. And as I mentioned to both of you off the air, uh, what I did was I, I actually visited each of uh, all three of your websites, uh, Mike's included, and just pull off some information that I thought was very interesting and very relevant to the, our conversation tonight. And Bill, I'm going to start with you. And, and one of the things that really caught my eye uh, is you talked about the three pillars of success. And what I want you to do is I want you to, to talk about uh, what you classify as pillar one, your swing. Uh, and, and I guess the question would be is what should golfers be focusing on to groove their best swing? Let's kind of break it down a little bit and then uh, Catherine by all means if you've got any questions or or comments about that as well feel free to, to jump in at any time sure well um thanks Ted and uh really uh, with the person swing the first place we start is the ground um you know we can't build a, a beautiful home unless we have a good foundation and you know unfortunately a lot of times you know, and players are getting tips and things here, there. They're talking about their hands and their arms moving, and they forget about getting a good, structured, stable, balanced base in their swing, and that creates a lot of issues. Um, and I know have, because I've gone through a lot of Catherine's and looked at her, the tapes and watched her, she'll agree, I think, pretty steadfastly with that. Um, you know, if we don't have a good um undercarriage and our, our feet aren't engaged with the ground properly we're not going to see very good results in our swing or consistency i've always told players you know people always come to me and want to be consistent and i say there's two things that as a human being we can do in golf consistently are stand up correctly and think and they do intertwine with one another for sure you know what i was just going to jump you know, in here because I think what you said is absolutely spot on bill you know, when you look at the kinematic sequence and three-dimensional motion analysis, the golf swing does start in the feet. You know, one of the things that we do in yoga and yoga for golfers is we work the feet. And I do this with my baseball players, too. A lot of golfers have flat feet and pronated arches. And if they have that, it actually travels up the, 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 the chain, the chain reaction biomechanics, and can actually affect their hip turn. So I agree with you. All of that starts in the ground. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, let me ask you that, that, that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I see that uh, on a daily basis. You know, we'll get people leaning left, leaning right, on their heels, on their toes, um, too narrow a stance. You know, they're just not really creating an area 
where they can make some room to swing, for lack of a better term. I mean, it's just, it, you know, we get a bad stance, and then, you know, it's all from that point down. <laughs> it really, uh, it never uh, it never improves uh, moving on the chain from there. You know, something just on a, on a side note, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Bill, about the stance. Um, if you look at traditionally some of the older golfers, uh, and I'm talking about on the professional level, the Nicholases and, and Trevinos, and, and so Trevino might not be the best example, they tended to have a more narrow stance. I think the rule of thumb was, you know, shoulder width apart uh, or just inside the shoulders, depending on whether you're hitting an iron or, or your woods. But I think with today's more athletic uh, golfer, I think predominantly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they tend to take a little wider stance than maybe what traditionally was done. Would, would you agree with that, Bill? Uh, I wouldn't totally agree with that. When I look at the players that really played the, the best, the Hogan's, Nicholas, Player, um, Tom Watson, that have had a lot of longevity, they did ha- tend to have wider stances. As we started to get into the mm-hmm. 70s, they started to pinch them in a little bit. A lot of back problems started to happen. And then, you know, I think it's evolved its way back to that um, that bit wider stance. And I always tell people shoulder width is the outside of the shoulders to the inside of the feet. It's not the other way around, right. not the outside of the shoulders to the outside of the feet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it um, it really creates a, a much better, in my opinion, a much better setup. And I think, you know, those when we say more narrow, I think we look at those players in the 70s. When we look at those players I was talking, the 60s and early 70s, they did yeah. have a bit of a wider stance. Yeah, um, Johnny Miller comes to mind earlier on. I mean, you know, he had that sort of classic reverse C, you know, if you look at some of his earlier days, you know, in the 60s and that. And and you're right, a lot of the golfers of that generation tended to have a lot of back issues. Um, I, I'm like you, Bill. I'm, You know, we were talking off air, you were mentioning, you know, about how tall you were. We're about the same height. I'm a little under you, I think. I'm 6'4 and a half uh, on, a, on a good day. Um, but I have a lot of length in my, my legs. And I find, for me personally... Um, if I get into a too narrow of a stance, um, I get too much body sway and, and not enough uh, good hip turn. Um, Catherine, I want to I want to move on to to your segment here a little bit, and, and something that that caught my eye on your Yoga for Golfers uh, website is you know you talk about of course uh, proprietary methodology and and you you made a statement here and I think it's very interesting and I'd like you to kind of expand on it and explain uh, the why if you will. Uh, but you indicated at the at the most basic level, golf and yoga are the same. Uh, what are the similarities that, that you've uh, experienced and seen over the years uh, as somebody that's obviously well-established in in, uh, in that profession? What are the similarities that, that golfers can identify? Well, I think first and foremost, we're just talking about movement. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that yoga does is yoga teaches our athletes about proprioception. Proprioception is knowing where your body is in space. And, and, and so, you know, let's say, let's say you're out on the course and you're trying to fix something at the top of your backswing. If you can't see right. it, and I, you know, by the way, I'm a golfer, so I might get to the top of my backswing and kind of look at where my wrist angle is and where my club head is and, and all of that. But it, it, it helps to cultivate feel. And, and, and that sense of feel is what we teach in yoga, and that's also what you need to know when you're playing golf. I wanted to just touch on one other thing that, that you and Bill were talking about, which I think is so important. We talked about the feet. But there's also the connection to the ground and, and, mm-hmm. and feeling that connection to the ground. So, you know, I, I will candidly tell you that when I set my feet at a dress, I have a pretty, you know, pretty significant waggle. 
and, and, and I do that because it gives me the sense of feeling the connection to the ground. In yoga, when, right. we do, when I do my Yoga for Golfers programs and we do all the standing poses, one of the first things we focus on is feeling the feet connected to the ground. And then, as Bill was talking about, you know, then the sequence comes from the, comes from the feet to the hips to the, to the thoracic spine to the shoulders to the hands and out to the club. What do you do when you set your feet at a dress? You know, you, you, you set your feet, you feel the connection to the ground. So there's so many similarities between, you know, yoga and golf. And, you know, right now we're just talking about the physical aspects. There's also the aspect right. of the mental part, the mindset conditioning, the, the setting your intention to something that we teach in yoga all the time. It's called one-pointed concentration. In golf and in baseball, what I teach my athletes is, how do you stand over the ball and be only focused on the one task at hand? You know, and you think about this, and I'd love to hear about this from Bill, too. It's like, you know, how do you teach that as a golf professional? You think about this. You play a four-and-a-half-hour round. You know, you're only playing 14 minutes of golf in a four-and-a-half-hour round. And by that, I mean right. standing over the ball and being completely focused. I don't know, Bill, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And one of the things, and it's it's kind of funny, I was working with one of my players, a college player, a young lady that plays at Bradley and had a phenomenal season this year. And, um, you know, we were talking about that with uh, earlier today about, um, you know, we're adding things by subtracting things. You know, and, and with a player at any level, if you, you, they've got too many things on their mind, there is absolutely no way that they're able going to be able to to perform. We're trying to find that one little that one little nugget, that one little thought that'll allow them to get their whether it's finishing on their the ball of their foot or you know pushing off the right foot or you know keeping the the, the pressure in their hands as light as they can through the shot. We're looking for that one little nugget that's the swing thought that that really when they do that they perform and perform well. In other words. The shots that they hit on a scale of one to five, where one is very poor and five is great, that they don't get worse than a three, and that's the where we want to go with it. And instead of adding things, we're taking things away to try to help them get to that one little nugget or that one little swing thought that is a consistent and a constant for them. And as I tell them, I like to deal in constants, not variables. Yeah, I love, right. I love that. Well, you know, the, other thing, the other thing that I teach that I work a lot with my athletes on is breathing. And, you know, I'm assuming we'll eventually get to that. But, you know, yes. it's, it's like I do this with my pitchers all the time, too, is to, you know, you set, you, you, you know, a pitcher will get a call from a catcher. And they know what they have to do. They know what they have to execute. In golf, it's like you know the shot that you have to execute. And, and so when you take a long, deep, diaphragmatic breath and you let go of all the tension in your body and you kind of let go of, but I love what you're saying, Bill, there's like this one, there's just one thing to think about. And then, and then you let go and you, and you execute the shot. You move from being so mechanical. And again, I'm a golfer. I've taken a thousand golf lessons and worked with the greatest teachers in the world there's so many things to think about. How do you incorporate that deep, long breath to just let go and focus on one thing and just pull the trigger? Well, you know, there's a few different ways to do it. Um, you know, and a lot of it is I do a little test with players. I figure out right away how they absorb the information. Are they, are they feel um, 
kinesthetic, are they audio, or are they visual? And we, there's, we have a real simple way of doing that with, with hitting a few chips, focusing on one of, the, one of three ways to hit the shot. Once we figure that out, then it makes it much easier for us to hit that trigger, um, whether it's one look at the target, one look at a spot on the ground, if they're listening for yeah. a sound, if they're focusing on the pressure in their shoulders and hands, that's, or the pressure of their feet on the ground. That's a, the first place that I have to go to, to get that routine down where I can get them to get that trigger. Because if we don't know that, and I've always said this because people are always saying, well, you have to visualize this in a golf shot. Well, I grew up being a very much a feel and a bit of audio. I can tell you if somebody says, okay, hook a three iron around that tree at 150 yards, make it go 40 feet left, I can't draw the probe tracer in my mind. I can tell you exactly what it feels like, and I can tell you what it's going to sound like. I can't see it. I can see the hole I want the ball to go through, but I can't see the ball going through there. Some people are visual. Some people are feel. Some people are audio. And we have to build that portion of it in there. And if we do it incorrectly, then they're going to struggle with it. So, I mean, that's one of the things I think that gets much overlooked in, you know, in my holistic approach, the way I coach players. I have to build that and figure that out when we build a good routine for them. That's bulletproof. Yeah, I love, I love yeah, that, Bill, because you know, you're talking about how, how are you going to connect with these players in the way that they learn. There's so many different ways of learning. It's phenomenal. Um, and that actually leads me – that works beautifully. That leads me, Bill, into the second part and, and really in pillar two of your um, three pillars of success, which is talking about the scoring – and uh, benefits of on-course coaching and obviously uh, a more holistic approach. Talk about that in a little bit more detail, um, why that's important, and you sort of alluded to it just a moment ago, but maybe you can expand a little bit more on that for for the listener's benefit. Yeah, the the scoring game, and I do a a lot of on-course coaching, and the player gets uh, uppers in level, you know, mini tour players and collegiate players and, and competitive juniors and amateurs. We'd spend more time on the golf course than we do you know, on the driving range. You know, if we have some physical things that we have to fix, yeah, absolutely. But I like a, a lot of situational things. We'll, we'll go out on the golf course and I'll throw a ball behind a tree and ask them to react. And, you know, I watch their body language a lot. We need to get that, the routine into a good timing sequence. I found with my best players that we have it down to where we put the stopwatch on and figure out how much time that assumes they take on shots when they hit them well and then, you know, assume that we take – four times when we don't hit them well, and we really focus on that good timing because that scoring game, you know, that builds into the short game and being able to manage themselves on the golf course, trouble shots, how to get themselves back into play. You know, when you have a a caution light, when you have a green light to go, you know, a lot of things like that, the decision-making. You know, it's kind of funny. I was working with a a young player a little bit tonight right before we came on, and, you know, he's 13 years old and going to be a freshman in high school, and it happens his dad is a coach. And, um, you know, his decision-making is a little bit rusty at times. And one of the things we're going to do next week when we go out, he's going to caddy for me for a couple holes and make my decisions for me. Because the, the, the accountability to the player making decisions is a lot different when you're doing it for someone else versus yourself. And, you know, there's some right. of the things holistically that I try to get this player, you know, to become a little better in his decision-making. He's very good now, but he has to be a little bit more decisive. So, you know, having him do it for me, all of a sudden that accountability level goes way up. Right. That, that's, that's, really, that's really, really interesting, Bill. You know, I just wanted to share this quick story that kind of ties into mm-hmm. that. Um, 
Um, I've been with the Oakland A's for many years as well as one of my multiple teams that I work for. And, and one year I was, um, I got to the yoga session and I teach the players on the field and, um, you know, they're in cleats. It's just, it's their, it's basically their pregame warmup. And I was talking to Chili Davis. You guys know who Chili Davis mm-hmm. is, right? Yes. Yes. And I was talking yes. to Chili Davis, talking to Chili Davis, and I said, you know, Chili, what are what are the top three things that you're trying to get your players to do? And in my honestly kind of limited mindset, I was thinking speed, you know, something that was physical. And he said, the number one thing I'm trying to get my players to do is to trust themselves. And what he shared was is that when he played, there, there wasn't as much technology as there is now. And, and because right. of that, they're, they're kind of always, you know, they throw a bad pitch and they're looking back to the pitching coach, like, okay, well, what now? Like, kind of fix me. And, and I love what you just shared with Bill is that you're teaching this accountability piece to this 13-year-old golfer, which is something that he will take not only on the course but off the course. And right. that's what we do, too, in, in Yoga for Golfers is we're teaching people to learn how to trust themselves, to breathe through the process. And you know what? Just because you had a bad shot doesn't mean you're a bad golfer. You know, just because no. you had a three-putt right. doesn't mean you're a bad putter. And, and, and guess what? Like, if you hit that shot once, you can do it again. You know, it's in there. It's trusting yourself. And I love what you shared about that. Yeah, absolutely. And the decisiveness is, is something. And it's, it's always funny when I find a younger player especially that's very indecisive. You know, I have the, the parents there as well, and I'll say, you know, when you go to a, a fast food place, you go to a restaurant, do you know what you want right away, or does it take you five, six, seven, eight, ten minutes to figure it out? And more times than not, it'll be they'll be indecisive. I say, okay, here's our new our new game plan. I want you making your decision at that restaurant within thirty seconds. And they look at me real right. funny. I said, no, I want you to be I want you to be that decisive. If you stop at McDonald's, which I tell them not to, but if they have to once in a while, <laughs> I say I want you to walk in there and I want you to know within thirty thirty seconds what you want. And they, they look at me funny, about, and then all of a sudden they start days. doing that. And they and it's yeah. amazing how it makes a difference in their life. Yeah, I was about to say, when I drive through McDonald's, I'm always stuck between the Big Mac and the Whopper. I know those are two different franchises, but, you know, yeah. those, that's my biggest <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, Bill, that, that does raise an interesting point, because, you know, one of the things that if you watch the, the better players on, on TV – when you start to see a player second-guess him or herself, you know right away that the wheels are, 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 are starting to fall off a little bit, especially when it's consistently over several holes. Um, when a player is confident in their game and trusts uh, you know, what they're bringing that particular day, they're very decisive in what they're going to do. They know exactly what, what their game plan, even if their ball isn't behind a tree. When they start to, even on simple shots, um, second-guess or question themselves – you start to to sense that they're not in control of of their game at that particular point. And, I mean, you've seen it as well, Karen, I know you have over the years, how many players, when they start to go down that path, can literally derail around and ultimately end up losing a tournament. Uh, And this brings me to a point, Karen, uh, Catherine, sorry, that uh, I want to get to uh, with you. you. You touched on a little bit about quieting the mind and using some proper breathing techniques, and that was something else that, um, uh, that you had on your website. So talk about that, some of the techniques that maybe uh, our listeners out there that can use that you're uh, implementing in, in your programs 
both in the breathing and, and also mentally what they can be saying and telling themselves in order to help them out on the golf course. Well, there's so many physiological and psychological benefits to learning how to breathe properly. Let's just talk about the physiological benefits. When you, ha- when you are able to take a long, slow, deep, what I call diaphragmatic breath, in through the nose and out through the nose, and you allow tension to leave your body through that exhalation, what that does is that enables the body to, as you begin to turn, do what's called eccentrically loading, right? So a muscle needs to be relaxed so that it can eccentrically load, load so that when you contract that muscle, it can concentrically explode. So if you're standing over the ball and you're really tight and tense, you can't get that full range of motion and efficiently, effectively, and consistently load the muscle. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. On my end, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, so that, that's the physiological um, um, benefit of proper breathing. The psychological benefit of proper breathing is that when you are holding your breath, it literally sends your body into a fight or flight response. It affects your it affects your ability to make a um, a well-rounded cognitive decision. Um, so whether it be, you know, I'm walking, up to, I'm walking up to hit a shot and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this isn't going to be good, you know, and I start to hold my breath and I, it will affect my course management. So, so enabling, enabling the, the mind to be relaxed, to not only um, make the right decision, but to keep the body free of tension. And to then also, after you hit the shot, it could be a great shot. It doesn't have to be a bad shot. To take another long, deep diaphragmatic breath and just kind of move on. So, it, again, and it also enables you, like I talked about earlier, to be in this one-pointed concentration, to just focus on the one task at hand. You know, you had a three-putt and you're walking to the next tee box and you're angry, you know, and your head is down and your muscles are tense, that's going to affect the next shot. So there's so many physiological and psychological benefits to proper breathing. So for the listeners out there, I mean, if they just sat and, sit, you know, if you sit up tall in a chair or you lay down on your back with your knees bent, if you put your fingertips on your rib cage and you take a long, deep breath and you feel movement under your rib cage, that's a deep diaphragmatic breath. It's not a breath that is in, high up into the chest and the traps. It's a breath that's into the diaphragm. Yeah, that's hmm. that is that is so on. I, I if I can interject here real quick, and I always like mm-hmm. to use the example of Tom Watson and anybody that's mm-hmm. a uh, studied the history of golf knew he had some monumental collapses early in his career, and he really gives it right. the key and says, "I never really learned to play golf until I learned how to breathe." And this is far beyond before the psychologists and, and when you start to really build with yoga and things like that in golf, you know, he got it, he figured it out. I mean, he was a wonderful player, but until he learned how to breathe, he really felt he never knew how to play golf. And that, Yeah, and Bill, and then, I love, Bill, I love that you said that because Tom Watson's quote is something that I use all the time. I just did it on the Golf Channel a couple weeks ago. He said, I didn't learn to play like a champion until I learned how to breathe. Mm-hmm. It's so under-discussed, in my opinion. I mean, I discuss it every day with all of my athletes. The other thing that I wanted to say is, like, in baseball with my pitchers, when I teach them how to breathe, I had a pitcher, and I, I always keep my clients anonymous. 
Um, but I had a picture that said to me that that he used to feel like when he was standing on the mound, the game was um, was like he felt like it was racing. It was moving too quickly. And once once I learned once I taught him how to breathe, he said he felt like he could slow down the pace of the game. And this is a guy that's standing on the mound in front of seventy thousand people. Mm-hmm. If he can do that, yeah. any golfer can do that. Right. Right. Well, it, and the other it thing goes is, to a great. It goes to a great point, Catherine, too. It goes back to the setup, and I always talk to players. You know, when your posture's bad, if your chin is in your chest, I'll have them do an exercise. Put your chin in your chest and try to do that deep diaphragmatic breath, and then put your chin up in the air and try to do it. And it's, it's amazing. They say, wow, what a difference. I said, well, right there, it goes hand-in-hand hand with the, the breathing and the thinking and the, and the setup all together. I mean, it's, it's got to be, you know, one and all together. Well, and, and I, well said, by the way, both of you. I think the other thing, too, that a lot of people don't realize is when they're not breathing properly, of course, tension uh, creeps in. And, uh, and I'm sure this was something that Tom Watson and many of the other uh, players that, that maybe didn't initially learn to, to breathe properly. Everyone thinks, well, we breathe every day, and, and uh, you know, so I, I don't understand how that's important. But a lot of people don't breathe properly. Uh, Catherine, I'm sure you can attest to this. You know, we're in a rush a lot uh, in our daily lives, and, you know, a lot of times people are out of breath because they're not uh, breathing properly or they're, you know, rushing through their day. And if you try to take that, um, you know, out under the golf course, you know, nine times out of ten, by the time you get to, you know, hole seven, eight, or nine, um, you know, your game starts to fall apart because you're not really, um, you know, breathing properly, your, your tension's creeping in, bad shots start to happen and all of a sudden now the mental aspect of the game starts creeping in and it just, you know, suddenly the back nine doesn't look uh, too exciting and you're just looking for that round to sort of get over. Absolutely. Absolutely, Ted. And you know what? I call breathing the reset button for the mind and the body. One long, deep, slow, diaphragmatic breath is the reset button for the mind and the body. I mean, I cannot say that more clearly. And, you know, what happens is if you find yourself in a stressful situation, you notice that you'll take a yawn. And, the, uh, and a yawn yes. is the way that your body is saying, I am losing oxygen. I need more air. I need more of that. So um, it, it, it really cannot be can, – I, I can't say it more importantly, the importance of it. The other thing is, you know, when you talk about putting, because I do a lot of putting clinics. Uh, I, I obviously don't teach golf, but I work with a lot of golf pros. And um, we just did a putting clinic re- recently up at True North with Doug Hammer, who's the director of instruction up there. And all I did with them was, I, obviously there's the physical aspect, but we did the physical aspect of putting. There's some yoga moves that I do, like a chair pose, to help people feel grounded and quiet the lower body. You know, the shoulders move with rotation from the thoracic spine. So if you have a C posture and you are not able to efficiently and effectively and consistently rotate your thoracic spine, it will affect the ability for your hands to move more easily. So there's the yep. physical aspect. But the biggest aspect when you're putting also, and I'd love to hear Bill's thoughts on this, is to take a long, deep diaphragmatic breath. And when you exhale, feel the tension leaving your trap your shoulder, your shoulders, your forearms, and your hands. And, and when you incorporate breathing into your pre-shot routine, it's 
dramatic how much better people are able to execute the shot, especially in putting. What do you think about that, Bill? I, I think it's spot on, Catherine, and I've actually used that as a trigger with some players. They had a problem when to pull the club back. You know, we've used the look, look back to the ball, and that didn't really work sometimes. But what I would do is I'd have them take that deep breath, get set, tap the putter, let it out, and then let the putter swing. And it's amazing how the performance started to increase. I mean, the the ability to hit so much easier for could let go and, and let it release. Yeah, love it. How about you, yeah, Ted? When bre- do you breathing is- swing? Um, I try to, you know, I try to time my breathing so that I'm actually throughout the movement itself. I, I'm in, I guess, a continual uh, breathing because if I don't, then I fall into the same trap that so many others do where they, they end up holding their breath. You know, I, I remember when I was uh, a younger player and, and out, you know, first learning to play, I, I started very young as well. I was about seven when I first, that I can remember. I mean, I'm sure I was at the range before that with my dad, but um, I was about seven when I really started to understand a little bit more about the game. And I can remember, you know, when I would have a, a club in my hand and my dad would say, okay, you know, go ahead and, and set up and let's, let's get you going here on the, on the practice tee. And I would hold my breath and literally as soon as my breath was being held, my father would say to me, you know, I can see the tension building in your forearms and, and, and so on. So he just said, I want you just to breathe, you know, as, as you pointed out, in through your nose and out through your mouth and just continually breathe normal and just let the swing happen. And, and I think that if you mm-hmm. try to – I think what, what people do often, Catherine, is that they try to focus on – mentioned earlier about, you know, if you focus on your breathing, uh, everything else will happen naturally. Our bodies are designed yeah. to, to rotate in a, in a certain way. And, you know, Bill, and I know you would agree as a, as a fellow uh, golf professional – you know, how many players get over the ball and they're thinking about, um, you know, is my grip right? You know, my feet, the, the, the proper width, you know, is my posture correct? And, and then what do I, what was, you know, what did, what did Bill say to me last week about in the backswing? And they've got all these things. And I think that maybe, you know, letting all that go and just focusing on, you know, some good, healthy breathing and just let the swing happen naturally. I think people would, would execute it a lot. And that's what I try to do when I play golf is just to, to focus on my breathing and you know what? There's going to be days when I get out there, and uh, I'm maybe not always going to hit my best shots. Um, but I'm I'm going to play with what I've got, and then I'll go back to the range after, and and you know monkey around with whatever I need to. But um, that's what I try to focus when I play golf is is on my breathing. It's just that um, that continual good, uh, you know, healthy breath in and and exhale as well. And that I find I... releases the tension and makes me more relaxed. And and that's what I try to do when I play. It does relieve the tension. The other thing that I want to talk about is keeping your jaw relaxed. This is also yes. something that we focus a lot on in baseball. When, when your jaw is clenched, it sends your sympathetic nervous system into an activated state. So one of the tips that I give to my athletes is if you put the tip of your tongue on, like, the inside of your teeth, your upper teeth, just on your soft palate of the roof of your mouth, you cannot clench mm-hmm. your jaw. And it should be just a, uh, just a soft movement. I'm, I can hear you guys trying this right now. I can hear you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a matter of fact, I have players do that all the time. It, it's it's yeah. spot on. You can't tighten your shoulders yeah. either when you do that. I mean, when you put exactly. that tongue on the roof of your mouth, the, you can't. 
Yeah, it relaxes the temporal mandibular joint, which is your jaw, essentially, which then keeps the, the, the scalenes relaxed and keeps the traps relaxed. Um, in baseball, one of the things we talk about is with our pitchers, if you had like a Dorito, like a potato chip in between your teeth, can you pitch without, without crunching the Dorito? Um, oh, it's wow. A really it's a really interesting tool. And the jaw, the breathing, and, and we've talked so brilliantly about that, and, and, and I'm so appreciative that you guys are on board with what I'm saying, but also the jaw needs to be relaxed all the time. I tell my baseball players, if it was up to me in baseball, I'd put double bubble out of business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. For a multitude of reasons, hey, but that know. alone. Uh, no, <laughs> I agree. Um, you, you know, and something else, too, and we, we, we've kind of um, talked a little bit about this. I mean, obviously, the breathing is extremely important, but, you know, balance is another thing. I mean, it, obviously, balance in yoga is, is uh, you know, a, a definite requirement. Um, but uh, both Catherine and Bill, I want you to touch on this, and, and, and Catherine, I'm going to let you start the, the conversation off uh, here first. But, um, you know, obviously, through yoga, you're, you're helping to build that core and, and maintain a, a more – uh, cement, uh, more symmetry to the body and, and obviously balance. And this is going to, of course, ultimately help with alignment, things like that. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing both with baseball and also with golf, of course? And then, Bill, I want you to touch about really how important balance is and how really overlooked, because, I mean, how many players we see out there, especially our high handicappers out there, that don't swing within balance. So, obviously, uh, some tips that Catherine's going to give us uh, is going to be able to help. So, Catherine, go ahead. But when I think about balance in the golf swing, I think about it in two, in two ways. The first way is what we already touched about, which is feeling the connection to the ground. So when you think about the golf swing, uh, the address position, which is, which, and I love what, how Bill started out talking about that that's the foundation of your swing. I always say, if you don't have good posture and a good foundation in, at address, you're building, you're building a, a house on a cracked foundation. So, so at address, we talk a lot about balance. With we use things like a chair pose, um, teaching people to even in, and your listeners can do this, right? So if you just stand and your feet are at your address position, but your body might be upright or even at address, and if you close your eyes and you shift your weight to the left and to the right and forward and backward, where do you feel that sense of balance? And by the way, this all starts in the feet. But then, as we begin our takeaway, what happens is that then the weight starts to maybe, you know, we'll move to the right side. So then you start to, from the lower body, the glutes then begin to become activated independently. So at address, they're simultaneously active. As you begin to move through all the phases of the golf swing, the glutes become independently active. So there's other poses right. that we use in our Yoga for Golfers program. Like, for example, there's a pose called a Warrior Three pose, where um, if, you, like, if you're standing up and you step your right foot forward, you then start to, begin your, start to begin to lift your left leg up and hinge your upper body down. That's also a way for us to teach our golfers to independently load the right side as you do getting to the top of your backswing. And then, you know, and then the weight and the, the weight transference obviously goes to the left side as you go through impact and finish. So there's lots of different ways that we work on balance. But I have to tell you something. In all the years that I've been teaching yoga for golfers, which is now 17 years and we're in 26 countries, 
I would have to say mm. that the number one thing that people say to me with feedback after even one session is I cannot believe how much better my balance is. And when I have yep. an athlete that says, I'm more balanced in my swing, but you know what? I can actually stand on one foot and put a sock on on the other foot. That kind of gets me excited. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of how we approach balance in those, in those three different ways. I yeah, can't, I, think, I can't and, and agree Bill, more. Yeah. Yeah, Bill, I'm going to let you go ahead and hear it a second, but I just want to add one thing. You're, you're exactly right, Catherine. You know, one of the things that, you know, I think that a lot of people make the mistake. I mean, I'm all for fitness and I'm all for, you know, getting some sort of a workout routine. But I think one of the, the biggest mistakes, especially golfers make, is, and I'm going to speak on behalf of, of uh, the male population, we're, we're under this misnomer that we need to go into the gym and, and work out, uh, you know, the big muscles all the time and things like that. And those are certainly good and, and you know, maybe a little bit of core. Um, but that's not the only muscles that are involved in the golf swing. There's a lot of little muscles that get involved that are stabilizing muscles. And they don't get worked a, a lot of the cases. And I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of people make is they get out there and they get into some workout routine. Um, and, and, again, I'm picking on the guys here and sort of bulk up, if you will, a little bit, and, and ultimately end up uh, creating a negative effect when it comes to their golf swing. Um, Bill, I'm going to let you uh, sort of carry on from what, uh, what Ka- uh, Catherine was talking about with, with balance and that, but I just wanted to throw that in there because I think it's important that people understand that it's okay to have some sort of a fitness routine, but you've got to make sure that um, you know, you're doing a well-rounded and a properly uh, executed routine that you're not just going and, and doing sort of a, a generic thing that's not going to benefit you, especially if you want to improve in your golf game. Um, Bill, go ahead. Yes, I, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly all the way through with the with the balance. And I think one of the things, and, and I believe Catherine will agree with this, and, and Ted is you as well, that people confuse stability and balance. I like to teach from a neutral position where we're centered up, weight equal, front and back in the feet, left and right as a starting position, because we can consistently get there. One of the things I'll ask yep. players to do, and we'll notice with body track or one of the pressure sense cores, is that somebody will be leaning left, leaning right, a little to the toes. I'll ask the player to close yep. their eyes. Then all of a sudden they'll be leaning one direction. I'll ask them to right themselves. Then from there I'll have them take a practice swing at full speed with their eyes closed. Then they get the sense of what hmm. dynamic balance is versus stability, and that is the, one of the keys to getting players to improve. You know, I'll have some players that will be struggling. I'll say, okay, go ahead and take a, a rehearsal swing as hard as you can, maintaining your balance, and they'll just go very hard and, and stick. I'll say, well, what would you do wrong? How would that feel? And they'll look at me like nothing was wrong. I said, exactly. Then we get that idea of how to, how to move dynamically with that good balance. And I think, you know, as you said, with, with closing the eyes, that's the easy way because now you're on instruments. It's like your own internal GPS. And I think that's one of the things that gets confused with people. They think they're, they're, they're stable, and they uh, confuse that with being balanced. And there, to me, there's a, there's a huge difference. And that simple little drill of a player taking a, a rehearsal swing with their eyes closed at full power, you can get that fluidity of the motion and also the harmony of the balance, which is such a key to being able to play this game, at, you know, at a very, very good at your best level possible. I, I agree right. completely, well, well, Bill. And the other thing is, is we're talking about what I touched on earlier, which is proprioception. 
So proprioception is knowing where your body is in space. And what happens is we get older, the proprioceptors of the nervous system become kind of like deadened. So, so that, yeah. that's why when you see older people, they start to um, become more hunched over because they're looking down at the ground because they don't have that sense of proprioception where their body is in space and they're afraid of falling. And so they, yeah. they start to then focus, you know, towards the ground. They start to shuffle their feet because they can't feel their feet against the ground. And that's something also that we do in yoga for golfers So I think is very beneficial for golfers is everything we do is with the shoes off. I, I think people need to take their shoes off more than they need to wear shoes because you feel yep. that sense of your body against the ground. And that is a chain reaction. You know, I, I mean, I've been teaching yoga for 20 years, but I also have a fellow degree in chain reaction biomechanics. So I, I look at the chain reaction biomechanics when I assess players. It's like, you know, when their calcaneus, their heel strikes the ground and their subtalar joint, their ankle joint, then should move in a certain plane of motion that transfers all the way up the body, and that is the golf swing. You know, you asked me the question earlier, Ted, about, you know, the, the, the similarities between yoga and golf. That's it right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, something else, Bill, and, and, and this is something that I, I can attest to for my own, um, you know, my own personal situation. I, again, going back to when I was growing up, you know, my father always used to say, because, basically that's how I was taught was, was my father. He was an extremely good golfer and, and uh, you know, was, was very sound with the fundamentals and that, and that was really what he focused on with me. And one of the things that he always used to say to me was he said, you know, Ted, he said, you, you know, go ahead and take your practice swing. And then I'd get over the ball and it would, you know, I'd hit the ball and it would look entirely different. And he said, you know, you have a great practice swing, but when you get the ball in the way, suddenly something happens. And I think a lot of golfers, Bill, would you agree with that, that, that especially our, our high handicap golfers, um, you know, can take a great practice swing, but then as soon as that ball's in the way, suddenly they're not thinking about the swing anymore, they're thinking about the ball. And that great golf swing you just saw a second ago in the practice, it suddenly evaporates and you're, you're looking for that swing again. Um, what, what do you try to do to help players um, to sort of overcome that fear, if you will, or that anxiety, I guess would be a better way? Yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, point you make. I refer to it as impact anxiety. I mean, we have all these this nomenclature now for all these symptoms and and issues that people have, and it really is impact anxiety. It's like somebody will tap the brakes right prior to impact, and that'll create a uh, you know a situation where the club face is off, the speed of the club isn't working, and getting shots going awry. A few of the things that I like to do with players when they run into that, one of the things that we'll do is I'll just put a tee in the ground and I'll tell them to clip it off right at ground level. The neat thing is they can't do that if they have that anxiety. When they stop, they won't be able to clip that tee off. I'll have them go right ahead and clip the tee. One of the second things we'll do is I'll have them set up. We'll say we'll take a seven iron. I'll say set up it with your normal ball position. From there, what I'll do is I'll tee a ball up, maybe two or three balls ahead of that. I'll take that ball away. I'll say, okay, stay centered up. Now hit through that ball. And it's amazing. They won't think that they'd be able to do that. But when they get that good shift with the balance, that ball will just fly off. And I said, there, mm. now what was the difference that you felt in that finish position from there to there? And they're like, it's night and day. I said, exactly. I said, we have to let that flow happen as opposed to we have to hit through as opposed to hit at. 
And, you know, that might sound like right. a little bit of parsing of words, but I'm very particular when I I pick the, the terms and the verbs and the nouns that I use with people because the, the words do have impact. And when you, you just change yes. it a little bit, the hitting through versus hitting at, I mean, it just changes somebody's, you know, their perception night and day. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that, and we've talked about this on the show many, many times uh, over the last several years, but, you know, the power of, of um, self-talk. Um, you know, a lot of people, and, and Catherine, you touched a little bit on this earlier, um, you know, what we're saying to ourselves um, internally, uh, you know, when we're out in the golf course, uh, and, and you mentioned it as well with, with the players uh, out, in, out in the mound, you know, pitchers perhaps, and, and uh, some of the other players on the baseball teams experience the same thing. If if the you know if the thoughts going in their mind are negative, uh, and they're getting into a situation where they're they're anxious or their anxiety starting to build, um, they're setting themselves up for failure. And I know that you through your programs um, work on that a lot. Talk a little bit more if you don't mind on on some of the things that you do to to help your uh, again both golf and and baseball. You can tie them both in um, to to help them be a, a little bit more focused on on, I guess, the positive energy coming in from their mind and, and uh, in their thought process as they're, as they're making their way around the golf course or through, uh, you know, a baseball game? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a, a significant conversation here about self-talk and what is our story. You know, what do we tell ourselves? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, it tr- is, it, is it the truth or is it just our story? And I'm just going to share a personal story for me. As I said, I'm a golfer. And I don't know, about 10 years ago, I had the yips in my chipping. And I would stand over the ball and literally I did not. And, Bill, I would love to talk to you about this. (laughs) Literally, I didn't know if the ball was going to go three inches or 30 yards. I did not know. And I would stand over the ball and I would say, this this was my self-talk. I would say to myself, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And you know what? Yep. It wasn't good. And, and conversely, I had a situation where I was playing in a media pro-am at Greyhawk, and Gary McCord is one of my clients. And I was standing, uh, I was on, it was on Talon at Greyhawk in Scottsdale, and I was in this bunker, and I literally couldn't see the flag. I felt like I was in Scotland, and I couldn't see the flag. And I thought, oh, this is not going to be good. And I, because it was a pro-am and it was a media thing and it was kind of fun, I pulled out my cell phone standing in the bunker and I called Gary McCord. He called me yoga woman. And I called Gary and I said, I called Gary and I said, what are you thinking making this bunker? I can't even see where I'm going to hit the ball. And he, he said, he goes, he calls me yoga woman. He goes, yoga woman. He goes, you got this. And I said, okay. And I put my cell phone away and I walked back and I grabbed my, grabbed my sandwich and I said, you know what? I have hit out of the sand successfully before. I can do this now. And I hit the best bunker shot of my life. And wow. I, I, think that's, I think that's a lot of that, that story tells, you know, kind of reiterates the situation of like, what is my self-talk? Oh, I can't hit this shot. I'm bad at this shot. I don't know if the ball is going to go three inches or 30 yards, you know, and, and so this is a lot of the, a lot of the inner dialogue that we tell ourselves, which is our story. And this kind of goes back to the breathing piece, which is when you take a deep breath, 
that shot is over and you can move to the next shot with clarity, a clear mind, attention-free body, and you will have more success. Yeah, and and well said, uh, Catherine. You know, something that was interesting uh, on on the Tuesday morning show that uh, I do with uh, um, my friend Cindy Miller, um, you know, we talked about, uh, there was an interesting story that was shared about uh, Annika Sorenstam, and this was back several years ago at uh, at one of the, I think it was a, a U.S. Open, and she talked about one of the issues that she had when playing around was that she couldn't shut her mind off in between shots. So for four and a half hours, whatever it happened to be, she was thinking nothing but golf and golf shots and things like that. And she, you know, really mm-hmm. talked about how, you know, she needed to be able to find a way to quiet her mind. And, uh, you know, somebody said to her, well, you know, think about something entirely different, you know, think about walking through a, a garden or something when you're walking between, you know, shots. And then as you get mm-hmm. closer uh, to where your ball is, then you re-engage and you think about the shot at hand. And she said, you know, that was something that really was was a major game changer for her in her career because earlier on it was nothing but golf, 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 and, and you know, golf shot, what do I do now? And it got to the point where her mind was racing so much. And I'm sure there were other things that she did as well, but, uh, again, it was that self-talk that just to, to relax and, and to have that positive energy um, so that when she was able to get up to uh, the next shot at hand, uh, she was able to do it with confidence and able to focus on, Bill, as you talked about, the, the specific task at hand right now and not thinking about it, you know, 100 yards back um, and, and sort of using yeah, the time effectively. You know, you know, and I think that's something. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Ted, what, Ted, one of the tips that I give my golfers is when you're walking between shots, focus on, focus on the whole, your heel striking the ground all the way through your toe yeah. lifting off the ground. Lift your eyes to the horizon. Take a deep breath. Feel in the beauty of the golf course. I, I love golf courses. You know, I live, I live in Arizona and Vancouver, mm-hmm. Canada. And when I'm in Arizona and I'm playing around and it's late and it's, you know, and the sun is setting and the, 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 the shadow on the ball is, you know, a foot long. It's like, wow, it's so yeah. beautiful. And there's, there's wildlife. And take in the natural beauty of where you are. It does help to reset the mind. I what do you think about that, Bill? Yeah, I do. I, embracing the situation and embracing what's going mm-hmm. on is, is so much of it. Getting comfortable. Instead of, you've got you to do instead of try. We do this, we do that. We're, and we're not going to fail. That's the thing. You've got to realize this isn't life and death. You're not going to fail right. if you do versus try. When we try, it opens mm-hmm. the shadow of doubt in your mind. When we do, yes. it makes things so much easier. I talk to young children. I'll teach children as young as three, four years old. And one of the things we'll do is wow. I'll bring an impact bag out, and we'll put a ball on a tee, and I give them simple instructions. I ask them to tell me verbally what they're going to do. We're going to go over the bag, we're going to go into the bag, or we're going to go around the bag. And they'll say, okay, I'm going to go over, Coach Bill. They hit the ball over. They go around. Then I'll take a hula hoop and put some alignment sticks at it. We're going to go through it. We're going to go over it. And they'll be amazed, and their parents are just sitting there dumbfounded. This child that can barely hold onto the clubs can, hold the, can hit the ball over, hit it through, hit it around. And I'll say to the child, you're like a superhero, aren't you? You can tell yourself what you're going to do. And they say, absolutely. And it's, it's amazing how a child with that young, that young, unscarred mind can do that. But we as yeah. adults, 
go to all the negatives as opposed to all the wonderful shots we've had in our lives. And it all it takes is one, one good one. And I find that with with very good players, and that's the thing they struggle with most. It's not sometimes hitting the reset button, as you say, Catherine, with the breathing. When you've hit a shot that's less than what you want, sometimes when you hit that stellar shot on a par three, you hit it a foot from the hole, what do you do on that next tee shot? That's the that's mm-hmm. where we learn and, and grow where that whole that whole positive is and just that self talk is so, so, so important in our ability to play our best. So important. Yeah, I wanna tell you guys I, a quick story. I'm sorry. Sure, go I'm ahead. I'm just gonna tell you guys a quick nope. story. There was um, a, a friend of mine um did his master's thesis at Arizona State University and what he did was he sat off the eighteenth um off the eighteenth green at um Karsten. And every person, he sat there for two weeks, and every person that walked off the green, the 18th green, all he said to them was, how was your round? That's all he said. And I found this to be so interesting. The younger, the golfer, they said something like, of course, we're in Arizona. Oh, we saw a snake, and my buddy fell into a cactus, and, you know, something <laughs> great, something crazy fun, right? Never right. mention their score. As the older golfer came in and the lower handicapper golfer came in, they said things like, I can't believe it. I missed par by one. I'm throwing this putter into the lake. I'm right. So the response got more negative. And I, and so that reminds me that we are involved in a game that we all love and we have to find the joy. Yeah. And that's a, that's an excellent way to, to end our, our segment. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, but um, that, that's a great story. And that's, there's so much truth to what you just said, uh, Catherine, you know, um, and, and Bill, what I was going to say is I, I guarantee if you tried that same exercise with the parents, um, you probably wouldn't have had the same result. I can pretty much guarantee oh, that. Close. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, not you know, even close. It, it's sad as, as we get older, you know, um, things like that happen. We, we tend to, uh, sometimes bring those battle scars with us, and I think that it's it's important um, to acknowledge that and and deal with it as opposed to just you know. And this is something too that I see with a lot of uh, golfers that have played for for any length of time, and regardless of what level they are, is they're always focusing and dwelling on the the bad shots. And well, you know, like you said, uh, Catherine, coming off the 18th, you know, uh, geez, if I had have just made that birdie or made that par and such and such, I would have had a good front nine and the back nine would have been, be- you know, and there's always a bunch of excuses where, uh, as you said, the kids coming off there, or the younger group coming off uh, are thinking about what they saw and the experience and taking it all in. They're not even thinking about their score. They couldn't care less in most cases yeah. Uh, yeah. about their score. And, and, and I think that's something that, that where self-talk uh, can really, really help. And, um, great discussion, guys. I, I really appreciate this. I, I really enjoyed listening uh, to, to what both of you had to say tonight. And um, I, I look forward to continuing this conversation uh, at a later date. But uh, I'm going to give you guys just a moment or two each. And, and this time I'm going to go ladies first. Catherine, uh, let the folks know that they're, they're tuning into the show where they can, if they want to reach out to you, where they can go to, to learn more about Yoga for Golf and and, uh, and how they can uh, get a hold of you if they're interested in, in getting involved in one of your programs. Well, it's, it's yoga4forgolfers.com. And what I just did want to tell everyone that uh, we have a thing on our website called the Golfers YFG Golfers Profile. And if they go onto the website and they take the Golfers Profile, and it asks them about 15 questions about their fitness, their strengths, their challenges on the course, et cetera. 
and they will receive about 15 free video tips to help them get started. Hmm. The most important thing is to just get started. So go on the website, take the golfer's profile, and start today. And the second thing I would say is, Bill, I'm coming to you to take a lesson. Beautiful. <laughs> well, you you know where to get in touch with me. It's just BillAbramsGolf.com. Real easy. A-B-R-A-M-S, just like the tank. That was my grandfather's cousin that uh, <laughs> that it's named after. Um, it's really uh, pretty pretty simple, just BillAbramsGolf.com. And, you know, again, I really like to utilize a really simple, holistic re- approach, and I really let players know that they're not going to get worse before they get better because, again, you know, through the techniques we've been talking tonight, I can identify the areas that they that are their strengths and the things that we need to brush up. And it's very, very simple way to, uh, you know, to handle – your game and, and manage yourself. And it just really, I want to make this as absolute fun, no matter what level you play at a 36 handicap or you're trying to play for a living. It's just making it as fun as we can. Well said. Well, guys, thank you again for, for joining me tonight on, on uh, Coach's Corner thank here on Golf Bill. Talk Live. I appreciate, thank you, Ted. I, I appreciate your, your thanks, thoughts Catherine, and input. Thanks, and Ted, I for the opportunities. To... It's a wonderful conversation. And I wish we had about three hours because we could still make it work. So, <laughs> Oh, uh, no problem. Well, well, we'll definitely come back and do that again. And, and Catherine, I'll be in touch uh, about what we talked about off air, uh, about having you come back and, and doing a, a special segment. But I uh, appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. And I look forward to you uh, coming back again and joining me here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks so All much. Right, Thanks too. again, everybody. And uh, look forward to helping everybody with their game. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, perfect. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. That was my very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, Bill Abrams and Catherine Roberts. Uh, two great professionals um, and just enjoyed the conversation tonight. Uh, and as I, I mentioned earlier, for those of you who maybe tuned in a little bit later, uh, we were going to be joined by Mike Fay, but unfortunately he had to back out last minute uh, uh, due to uh, some personal issues and uh, but uh, assured us that he will uh, join us uh, here again in a future uh, uh, Coach's Corner segment. Uh, but um, I just wanted to, uh, to relay that as well. Um, next coming up, uh, of course, is my special guest, Jay Ewing. He's the uh, CEO and director uh, of, of instruction for the Bird Golf Academy. He'll be joining me here shortly, but just let me remind everybody, of course, um, that we are live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on Golf Talk Live. And uh, quickest way to find us, go to blogtalkradio.com, type in Golf Talk Live up in the search key, and that will take you there to the main page. And uh, always love to hear from you. You're welcome to call in anytime at area code 646-716-4667. Or you can reach out to me personally uh, to my email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, any uh, comments or, or questions about the program, or as I said, if you're somebody that's in the golf profession and uh, you want to uh, um, maybe come on and, and share uh, some interesting uh, perspective about the game with my audience, or maybe uh, you're a coach or a teach professional, you'd like to come on and join in the Coaches ca- uh, Corner panel discussions, uh, I'd love to hear from you. There's still some room uh, here uh, throughout the year, so uh, feel free to reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the second half of the show, uh, Jay Ewing, uh, CEO Director of Instruction uh, for the Bird Golf Academy, is going to be joining me. He's a PGA member, and uh, uh, Jay's unique and modern style of teaching is the result of more than 30 years as a professional golfer. Uh, he played uh, on the Australian and Asian Tour in the early 80s. Uh, more recently, was the winner of the World Pro-Am at Pebble Beach in 1998 uh, and served on the Colorado Section PGA Board of Directors. Uh, he was also the founder of the Rocky Mountain Junior Tour and founder of the Colorado uh, PGA Teachathon. 
his teaching background, uh, working with uh, everyone from juniors and players of all skill levels, uh, is quite extensive. And also he's the host of Golf Tips with Jay Ewing, uh, and also authored uh, two uh, books, both for uh, written for trade and also uh, mainstream publications. Uh, and as I mentioned, is the Director of Instruction and CEO of Bird Golf Academy, uh, which was founded in 1999. So without further hesitation, let me bring on my very special guest, because I see he's waiting, uh, Mr. Jay Ewing. Hey, Good evening, Ted, Jay. Welcome going? to Golf Talk Live. I'm oh, doing great. Very well. Thanks, Thank you thanks very much. so much for having me on the show. Not a problem. I appreciate that, and, and uh, thanks for coming on. Um, Jay, I wanted to, obviously we're going to talk about, uh, I know you've got some very interesting news that you're going to share with us in a little bit, but uh, tell us a little bit about maybe some of the history, first off, of the, uh, the Bird Golf Academy, sort of how it came about, and, and uh, I know you've got a number of locations, and then, and then uh, we'll talk about some, uh, some interesting news that I know you want to share with uh, my audience tonight. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we're, we're fairly unique in, um, in what we do um, because before we came along, most golf schools like, you know, John Jacobs or the Golf Digest schools, they were sort of group situations. And um, right. meaning no disrespect to other schools, but the foundation of our school differs from that philosophy because we only feel that the most effective way for someone to learn is – one or two on one rather than a group of four or five or six people. And um, the other thing that's significant about our school is, is who teaches our students um, because all of our teachers have been PGA or LPGA professionals for a minimum of 25 years. And they include six members of two or more halls of fame, two different U.S. Open champions and uh, PGA master professionals and so on. And a great teacher understands a great many methods and styles of teaching and they put the right one with the right person you know rather than teaching a canned version of the golf swing so um, when we came along we were very different than any other school and um, we've been very lucky to be able to do what we've been doing now for almost 20 years wow now as i mentioned you've got uh, many many locations uh, uh, all around the united states um, where are some of the, the locations? And I, I believe uh, you're going to share that uh, you've got a new location now. Um, let's talk about some of the other locations, then you can announce uh, where the new one is, is taking place. Well, of course. Thank you. Yeah, we have 21 sites around the country. We're in nine different states. Um, and we have something sort of geographically for whenever someone wants to come at whatever time of year. So mm -hmm. uh, our flagship site, that's at Wild Horse Pass Resort and Spa in Chandler in Phoenix, which has taken its place as one of the great properties really in all the southwest. The two golf courses there are managed by Troon. And in 2012, the Whirlwind, the golf facility, was named the best of Troon for the second time. So it's the only facility that's mm -hmm. ever won that award twice. And the Sheraton wow. this year was just designated as a Sheraton Grand, making it the only grand property in north america and it has every amenity people would expect at a world-class property including kai which is the only five-star five-diamond restaurant in arizona one of only 13 with those assignations in the whole country um and aji their spa is equally renowned and it has everything that everybody would expect at a, an amazing place so it it's a very special place but in addition to which we're at 20 other very 
special properties around the country. So whenever somebody wants to go and work on their game, we've got the perfect place for them. And our newest site um, is at Turnberry Isle, which is just north of Miami. It's between sort of Fort Lauderdale right. and Miami in um, in South Florida. And Turnberry is an iconic property that has two great golf mm-hmm. courses. The two golf courses there have hosted all three major tours in their history. And um, it's a spectacular place. But we're also partnered with a great many other fantastic properties around the country, some of which, like the Alisal in Solvang in Santa Barbara, with very unique places. Santa Barbara, or the Alisal, is uh, only 76 rooms, and it sits on 10,000 private acres. And it's still a working ranch with two amazing golf courses. So we've got kind of something for everything. Everybody, I beg your pardon. Very, very unique. Um, yeah, I like that. Uh, um, Jay, one of the things that I, I wanted to, to talk to you about, uh, we'll get a little bit more detail about the academy and some of the things that, that uh, those attending the academy can expect from uh, working with some of the great professionals that you have there. And you mentioned, you touched on the fact about uh, many of the other academies that are out there. And, and again, this is not to uh, meant as a criticism, but do offer more of a group type program where you have more one-to-one or two-to-one with the instructors. Why is that? Why did you feel that that was an important approach to take, um, as opposed to what generally uh, most people would perceive as academy uh, instruction? Well, and thank you for that. And yeah, and this is in in no way to disparage other schools because there's a lot of schools out there that do sure. a great job. But we just feel that the, the the thing is when you're when you're teaching someone, as you know, it's like when someone gets stuck which always happens in the learning process, if they're in a group of four, five, or six people, you can't unstick that person without neglecting the other people. And most other schools, they teach one method, and they're sort of teaching everybody all the same stuff. And that may be effective for some people, but not all. So, um, you know, when when we work in our format – if it's one-on-one, it's obviously that person is spending all of their time exclusively with their own teacher. But in our two-on-one formats, it's like having private lessons because even if people are at differing um, abilities or stages of the game, their teacher will give them each things to do, and it's it's like having private lessons. So that's kind of one of the yeah. the, the two foundations of the school. Well, and, and and something that you touched on, which is very interesting, and I think I think the industry is starting to recognize this now, um, Jay, is that you know everybody does everybody's unique, of course, as a, as a human being and a, as an individual. Um, so why wouldn't our golf swings be somewhat unique? And, and of course, there are certain uh, staples uh, within the golf swing. If you look at any of the great players over the years, uh, both on the men's and the women's tour, uh, there are certain key elements of a golf swing that. I guess have to remain constant uh, impact position being one, but, um, but we've seen so many different types of swings, everybody from a Lee Trevino to a Nicholas to a Palmer, uh, you know, some of the great lady golfers, Nancy Lopez to, and, and others to name a few um, had very different ways of, of achieving uh, their golf swing, but it was very unique to them. And that's something that the industry kind of gotten away from a little bit here in, in the recent decades where they tried to, you know, funnel everybody into sort of one, uh, or two different theories, if you will. Um, is this what you're really trying to accomplish, is is treat everybody as more of a unique individual when you're working with them one-on-one like that? Oh, of course, yeah. And, you know, if you look at the young man that just won the Players' Championship, young Mr. Kim from South Korea, yeah. is phenomenal. But, 
you know, there there has been a trend in the last few years to, for instance, if we're going to get a little technical, to restrict hip movement in sure. golf swing. So right, he's suffered at 21. He's got back problems, and they realize mm. that. So now they're freeing up his swing a little bit, and a lot of these young guys, even Rory McIlroy, and of course Tiger Woods, most famously. I I think that. Um, a methodology kind of took over, and it was a, yes. it's a copycat kind of thing. So, oh well, something works for so and so. I've got to do that. But yeah, you, throughout history, there's always been, as you said, very unique golf swings. You would never teach somebody to swing a golf uh, club like Jim Furyk, but Jim Furyk right. has been one of the most accurate players in the history of the PGA Tour. <laughs> And I think he's the fourth right. all-time leading money winner. But you would never set up and say, okay, now do that. Um, when Lee Trevino, who you mentioned, when he came out, you know, he, mm. s- he served in the military. And um, when he came out in the 60s, everybody looked at that swing and said, oh, that's not any good. And you're talking about perhaps <laughs> the greatest ball striker in history. I mean, right. he really was. When <laughs> when Lee Trevino hit a golf ball, it made a sound that it was different than even Jack Nicklaus or Ben Hogan. There was a sound that was yep. different. And you would never, at that time, you never would have taught that inside to outswing. Well, now that inside to outswing is sort of the accepted norm for the golf swing. Because, right. you know, we realize that, yeah, you don't invert. So, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> You know things can change pretty dramatically, but there there's no there's no one size fits all in the golf swing. That's for certain. And you know Nancy Lopez, another great example. She had that loop at the top of her golf swing, um, and um, right, one of the greatest women players in history. Annika Sorenstam moved her head backwards and forwards. So did <coughs> Curtis Strange. You know they yes. had a lateral movement with their heads. You wouldn't necessarily teach that. So. The the point is, that, Ted, with all these different great players, there's these idiosyncrasies, but they work for them. And as a teacher, what you want to do is instill, instill with that person a model, a how-to. And they need to go back to that when things aren't working. And that's where most people get off kilter. Because instead of going back to something, they try a whole bunch of new stuff. Yeah, one of, and, and, and one of the other things work. too... And, <laughs> Right, and you're exactly right, and that's a, that's an excellent point, Jay. The other thing too, and I, and I talked about this last week on the show, um, on our uh, panel discussion in the beginning of the show, which, which I, was called uh, Coach's Corner, and one of the questions I had was, you know, there's a lot of online, and I'm not talking about your general online with with some of your great professionals out there that maybe have their own websites, and I'm not even referring to that, but there's a lot of, um, I, I guess, armchair uh, golf gurus, if you will, that that want to you know, put their two cents out there and how that people should play the game. And I'm sure that you've had students that have come into the academy that, that say, well, I saw this video or I saw this over here or misinformation. Um, what do you try to do to combat that a little bit? I mean, obviously you have to listen to, to the individual. They're coming to the academy. But, but you know what I'm talking about. There, sometimes there's a lot of misinformation out there, and, and it can be very difficult for, for uh, you know, a lot of teach professionals trying to work with this um, when they've got students that are getting so much information from uh, different social media sites and things like that. What are some of the things that you try to do to, to help them along and, and help them to understand that you know, it's okay to look at this, but 
it may not always be in your best interest if you want to improve. Well, yeah, you know, Ted, that's a really good point. The the thing of it is information can be a good and a bad thing. And um, mm. when when people are overloaded with stuff um, yeah. in any way, shape, or form, that's never a good thing. Um, the other problem is, is with this stuff is that all these teachers, I have great respect for all these people that have studied the golf swing, that understand the golf swing, that obviously know the golf swing, and they write articles and all this sort of stuff. And um, But that stuff doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't is because the instructor is describing what they've done with one person. And those persons' idiosyncrasies, their build, their coordination, their uh, style – all of these things are factors in how they should swing a golf club. And that instructor, when they're writing an article about why someone slices, they can't see why you slice it. So there's a hundred reasons you could slice a bull, but that's why you pick up a cover of Golf Digest magazine and it says, fix your slice uh, three or four times right. a year. <laughs> because most people slice it, and that's fascinating. That, but and and they're all valid things that these people are writing. It's not that they don't know what they're talking about. They certainly do, but they can't see sure. you as an individual. And that's that's right. where people get off track. And all this information gets thrown out online. And you know, one of the things we work on is is the mental game. And Carrie Mumford, who was our mentor, he taught us that someone will learn something one thing at a time. And if somebody's trying to interpret more than one thing at a time, they're never going to get it. It's just not how you learn. So when you throw videos out to like your everyday golfer and they see 10 or 15 things that they want to change, that's just right. not going to happen. So it's overload. Yeah, it's overload and 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 it's confusing uh, as well because you know everybody has their their different takes and and uh, you know different theories as you mentioned earlier, and and there's nothing wrong with that. It, you know, it may work for some golfers, but you can't sort of blanket uh, every golfer with that. And I think unfortunately, as you pointed out earlier, um, you know, over the last little while in the industry, there has been uh, sort of a, a dramatic change in how the game was being taught, um, and some of it good and and some of it unfortunately not. And, you know, I always get a chuckle when I, when I go down to the PGA merchandising show. Uh, I didn't make it this past year, but, you know, I've been other years. And, you know, there's always something new, and, and it's certainly interesting. Um, but there's a danger with it, too, because, you know, sometimes, as you said, the, the information uh, is, is very generic, and it may not apply to a, a lot of golfers out there. And I think sometimes when we try to put them into a box, um, you know, it, it just it's a recipe sometimes, I think, for disaster. Um, I, I want to talk to you about, um, you know, students coming to the academy. Um, is there is there anything golfers, in, in your estimation, uh, that he or she can do uh, in, to prepare for an experience with the academy? What what do you like them to do uh, in preparation to coming to uh, to the academy? Well, actually, you know, we get in in all shapes and forms. We've had people who aspire to be touring professionals uh, and then absolute beginners and everybody in between. So um, depending on the situation, the best thing for us, Ted, is that they come in with a fresh slate, that they right. come in with, with not a lot of conflicting thoughts. And uh, we, we're going to help a gentleman this weekend at our site at Green Valley Ranch in Colorado, which is an amazing 
uh, golf course. It holds um, hosts all three major champion or all three professional championships in Colorado. Um, it's a very hmm. unique facility, and it was built for teaching. So the golf course is superb. But we're working with a gentleman that's completely lost his game, and um, he asked hmm. me for wow. advice uh, a few weeks ago when they booked the school, and I asked him just to not play. So don't do anything until we see you because the less conflicting information that we have coming in, the easier it's going to be to help you. Um, but for us in someone preparing, the greatest stuff that they can do is stretching and exercising. Um, and we actually have a very unique uh, yoga program that we created 15 years ago that was really um, ahead of its time called engulfing uh, yoga where we have golf specific mm -hmm. stretching exercises for people so preparing to come and see us the best thing in the world that they can do is stretching exercises yeah and, and also as you said really coming with an open mind and and um, and and being receptive to to what it is that you're you're uh, you know doing at your facilities you know I think one of the things too that that a lot of uh, amateur golfers uh, fall into the trap is they don't practice with any sense of, of purpose. So let's let's walk through um, some of the things that a, a student can expect coming to the academy. What are some of the things? Obviously, let's start with uh, the most obvious. Obviously, a beginning golfer. Some of that maybe maybe they've played it once or twice in their life. They they might even have taken a lesson here or there, but they're really not uh, somebody that's played a lot. And, and they're coming to your academy for the first time. Where do you start uh, with a student like that in most cases? Well, someone like that, you know, they're going to learn the, the fundamentals, grip, stance, alignment, mm -hmm. and posture. And that's going to be the foundation of their golf swing for the rest of their lives. And these are the most important things that they're ever going to learn. And we love someone like that because it's so much easier to work with someone like that, Ted, than it is with somebody that's been doing it maybe incorrectly for 20 or 30 years that you need to change habits. So it's, as you know, so much easier to create good habits rather than changing bad ones. So they're going right. to learn to do that, and they're going to build a foundation which will last them a lifetime. And all of our um, teachers are fundamentalists, so they're all going to start there. I mean, you know, you can't put the cart before the horse and all the different similes and uh, axioms right. that you would use. But, um, yeah, you, 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 if you're going to learn it from the ground up, this is the perfect way to do it because it's going to allow you to do that and – do it in three days, and if someone gives us three days of their time, they're going to become a golfer. Now that's and that's that's a great great point because you know I, I agree 100% with what you just said because I think that you know the fundamentals are, are something that are really overlooked I think with a lot of amateur golfers that you know they've been taught it at some point throughout their their time but um, somewhere over the line it's it's. It's, it's been massaged a little bit in their own doing. You know, their grip isn't quite the same as they were taught, and, and the stance is, you know, creeped open a little bit, or it's narrowed or widened or what have you, and, and their posture isn't the same. So, you know, Nicholas famously used to talk about how the beginning of every season, he went over the fundamentals. But that was the main, you know, he didn't go out there and beat a 1,000 balls a day like some people did. Um, you know, he certainly worked on different shots that, that were important to him. But he worked on the fundamentals. He made sure that, you know, uh, that was obviously back when the PGA Tour was not playing, you know, virtually 12 months a year. Um, you know, in the winter months, that's what he did. Is You know, he went out and he, you know, did his fly fishing and other things. But when he came back and was getting ready for the new season, 
you know, he worked on the fundamentals. That was the key thing that he worked on. Um, is this something that you try to stress through your academy as well with, with folks that have come to the academy and then now are going out to play um, or going back home, that they, they continually work on those fundamentals? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not – and everybody's fundamentals, and that should be sort of noted because it's like when you talk about fundamentals, you can't just throw a blanket over it and call it good. So, right. and what I mean by that is that, you know, Mo Norman was considered by most people the greatest, including Jack Nicholas, was considered by mm-hmm. most people the best ball striker that ever lived. And yeah. um, Mo Norman had a tractor accident when he was five years old. Right. And he was misdiagnosed, mm-hmm. and, and most people thought that he was uh, mentally challenged. Um, right. And Mo Norman was actually a savant, and he was a genius yes. for the golf club. But Mo Norman mm-hmm. was this short, little, stubby guy that had little, tiny fingers. And so when he taught mm-hmm. himself to play golf, he developed this split-finger grip, the ten-finger grip. And that's yep. how it was best for him to hold a golf club. And Mo Norman, mm-hmm. and he worked with Kerry Mumford, our, um, who's our mentor. Kerry passed away two years ago. But Kerry worked with Mo um, for many years, and it, he, Mo recognized him as a friend because of what mm-hmm. Kerry taught. But Mo Norman did things completely differently than the norm, but he did them according sure. to what was right for him. And Mo would do things, for instance, like he would repeat everything four times. So when he right. would play, he would talk the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he'd, he would also then go out and play on his own and hit four shots. And everything he did was in fours. So... um but he also hit a ball like probably nobody's ever hit a ball before. Like <laughs> he he could hit it so straight, and he was a genius. But sadly, because of the way he was, and he repeated everything four times, most everybody thought that Mo was crazy, and he really wasn't. Right. And he was a people person who was shunned by people. Um, right, and it was I remember kind of a well. tragic thing. Um, you know, he lived in his car for twenty five years. And um, right. at the end of his life, you know, Titleist gave him a stipend and he would show up occasionally mm-hmm. for clinics that they did and things like that. But this was a genius that never got appreciated for being – it's like a 18th century comp- composer, you know, that yep. never got recognized for being the brilliant person that he was or a painter that cut, it off, cut off his ear. I mean, he, he was this guy that was just extraordinary that nobody ever really understood. And the reason I'm well, bringing that up is because there's different ways for different play this game. Right, and that's an excellent point. I actually had the the uh, privilege. I'm uh, I don't know whether you picked up on on my accent or not, but uh, I'm actually originally from Canada, and uh, I, hey? I knew Mo, Mo Norman. At, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was I a actually, cheap shot. Dad. That was no, no, that no, was, no, that no, was I, below I, the I, belt. No, no, that's that's quite all right. Um, but I actually had the honor uh, on one occasion to, to actually play with Mo. Uh, I was uh, friends with another gentleman, Nick Westlock, who uh, was very good friends with Mo over the years, and he was a, uh, a fellow golf professional from Canada. And uh, I remember actually being with Nick on, the, and I told the story recently with another guest who uh, was also from Canada, and uh, we were sharing some, some Mo stories, and, and mine was simply, and I won't get into all of it now, but... Uh, you know, I was uh, at the driving range uh, up in a course in Canada uh, a number of years ago before Mo, Mo, probably about two years before Mo passed away. 
and uh, you know I was there with Nick, and you know I was struggling a little bit with with something in my game, and and of course Mo, uh, you know, wandered up and as he normally did, and, and they were getting ready to play, and Nick said to Mo, he said, you know, I want you to take a look at this young man and and uh, see what you can do, and. And uh, he said, well, actually, Mo, he says, why don't you hit a few shots and, and basically show him how it's done. And it's like you said, rapid fire. He just, you know, got a seven iron out and boom, 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 everything within a tight pattern and then did the same thing with his driver. And, you know, I jokingly said to him, I said, well, you know, what would you, you know, after he watched me for a little bit, what would you suggest I do? And he said, did you see what I do? And, and I said, yes, he said, that's what you do. <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't really was able to articulate, um, you know, very much as far as specifics, but you know, he was just a phenomenal ball striker. And then we subsequently got, I got invited and I played with uh, 18 with him and Nick and it was just amazing. And, and you're exactly right. He repeated himself quite often and talked the whole time, but uh, he was just a, a, an amazement to watch. And I'm quite familiar with his story and, and all the background on it. Um, you know, some of the, the quirkiness, I guess, for lack of better words, but yeah, he was, he was definitely a phenomenal ball striker and loved the game of golf. And it was sad that, uh, you know, and very tragic, uh, his life story. But at the same time, um, he did what he loved. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all grateful for that. Yeah, he did. I mean, he was he was an extraordinary person. And, um, you know, the sad thing in the things we, we take things, um, Ted, so much on surface value. And we make sure. assumptions with people. And Mo... Um, was so badly treated in his life because we the reason Kerry knew him because we we do personality profiles or he did with people and so we understand their learning styles and that's why he understood Mo so well and Mo would say things you maybe heard him say this is like I know the secret I know the secret I know the secret I know and he did yeah but he as you just said too he couldn't articulate it he yeah. couldn't tell you why he knew no he just knew but but that was mo being mo and um the the tragic thing with mo norman was that he loved people but people shunned him yes and so that was that's a right. tragic thing it wasn't like he was a he was a recluse he wanted to be around people but people never yes. wanted to be around him and so that was the the saddest thing about mo Forget his ball striking. Forget how great he was as a golfer. But it's just that um, he never got to share the warmth of being around other people, which was would, would have been such a great thing for Mo. Yeah, and, and just one last, final note because I, I don't want to you know, obviously I don't want to take all of our time uh, so circling around Mo. But um, I, I know from from personal experience and just from from people that knew him in, in conversations that um, he obviously gravitated. To children uh, and vice versa, Love I think children. that they, you know, yeah. yeah. And and actually, uh, as he went on in in, in life, uh, spent enjoyed a lot of time. If you were a young kid and you came up to Mo, you could say hello. If you were an adult, you were taking your chances because if he didn't know you, you know, he he didn't uh, he didn't want to engage because he was very uncomfortable in that setting just because of of how he had been treated. But um, but but anyways, you know, it, it was certainly something to. Um, you know, to be able to see it, to, to see him uh, hit the ball, and, and obviously for those that, that played with him, uh, just to watch how he handled himself out in the golf course as far as his ball striking and that, it was just uh, amazing. And I know some of the best players in the world, uh, even to this day, if you were to ask them about Mo Norman, they would have a, a great story to share with you. Um, I want to I want to move on and get back to to our our conversation about uh, uh, the academy and that. 
uh, you mentioned that you have several uh, academies uh, across Canada, and uh, are they all uniquely the same? I mean, as far as uh, the methodology that that you that you teach throughout the academies, or does each sort of offer something a little bit different? Uh, do you specialize, uh, as an example, in a short game at certain facilities, or is it the the whole package at, at each of your uh, locations? Well, we do we customize everything for each student, so we work with them on okay. whatever areas of the game that they tell us they want to okay. work on. So, and all of our teachers, because of their great skill, they're enormously adept. Uh, teaching everybody in all sorts of shapes and forms. If somebody wants to spend three days and work on their short game, that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> but everything okay. we do is customized for each person. So we don't have a set curriculum because actually our students dictate that. Okay. That's that's a phenomenal. Uh, and see, I like that. And, and you know, that's something, I, and it kind of touched on what we were talking about earlier, that was one of the things that I think has been a little bit of a problem uh, in, in the industry for, for a number of years now is, and I think this has added to some of the level of frustration with a lot of golfers, is that, you know, there has sort of this one-size-fits-all mentality. And I understand why they're doing it. It's, it's part of the marketing and, 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 and trying to, uh, again, put everybody in that one box. I, I, I think that the intent was, was good, but I think the, the understanding of, of how different everybody was was sort of overlooked, and, and this has added to some of the frustration. And, and I want to take the flip side of what I asked you earlier about a new uh, golfer coming. Uh, obviously, one of the challenges is uh, a golfer that's maybe played 30, 40 years, um, maybe they're up into their 60s or what have you, and you know they're not as easy to, to adapt to new changes. They, you know, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. Well, I've been you know, playing like this for 25, 30 years, and and you know they're not as receptive. How do you work with players like that? What is there uh, a key to success, if you will, in working with players that maybe have become a little bit more rigid in, in their methodology? And, and how do you sort of break through that surface a little bit? You mean outside of bashing him across the side of the head yeah. with yeah. a club? <laughs> so yes, but you know what I'm talking about, Jay. I mean, the, the reality <laughs> is, uh, as the population is, is getting older, there's a lot of golfers out there that you know they still want to play. They want help with their game. But they, they're they're falling into those same old patterns all the time. How do you how do you work with students like that? You know, it is it, the, the the longer someone's done something incorrectly, Ted, the harder it is for them to change. Um, and the thing of it is, is if somebody comes to our school, we hope they're receptive to learning new things, um, because changing is never easy. Um, as I think we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, it's a lot easier for us to work with somebody who's a complete beginner and create this beautiful, fresh, clean palette of a golf swing. Um, but there's an art form to working with somebody that's gotten really stuck. And we want the people that are most stuck. Because of the skill of our teachers and how great they are, we can, we can get that person unstuck. And um, so the bigger problems you have, bring them to us. Okay, well said. Um, now, obviously, you know you you've played professionally as a as a golf professional yourself uh, over the years, as, as well as of course teach. Um, what were some of the things you know as a player that um, that looking back now, if you had have known then. 
would have made a difference. And I'm, I'm referring to not the physical aspect as much as I am about the mental aspect. What were some of the challenges mentally that you had out in the golf course that you're now able to bring to your instruction? Well, I mean, personally, I would have, um, uh, I'm, I'm sort of ashamed to admit, I would have complete mental breakdowns on the golf course. I mean, I would have meltdowns. Right. And, um, one time in the New South Wales Open, I shot 67 and broke three clubs, which is really wow. tragic. And that's not a great thing to yeah. admit. Um, no. Yeah. And um, But when I met Kerry Mumford in 1989 at a PGA mm-hmm. seminar, I moved to Colorado and became a club professional in 1986. And so during my PGA training is when I met Kerry Mumford. And I learned mm-hmm. um, about the mental part of the game and which he taught me and he mentored all of our teachers and he was such a significant part of what we do. But Kerry showed me things that I, if I'd have been able to do when I had some talent to play a few years earlier, right. that if I'd been able to transition those things, they were amazing. But we, um, you know, we, as human beings, we, we, we continually learn. And golf, I think that's one of the things that uh, attracts us to golf is that it's also continually learning. And now yes. I'm in my 50s, and if I right. had the brain I have now and the head I had now, but the talent maybe <laughs> that I had 35 years ago, I'd right. I'd probably be able to do this for a living, you know. But yeah. um, it it took me a lifetime to learn these things, and the what we can where we transition that for our students is being able to pass along that information a lot of our teachers have had much more brilliant playing careers than i ever had so but now well, they're they're teachers and that's what matters yeah and i and i think jay one of the things that makes your situation and, and many of the other uh professionals that work alongside you in in the various locations you know being a player um, you know, it's one thing to, you know, be a teacher, but to somebody that's actually played the game, uh, especially at a professional level, um, you know, they understand what pressure is like. They've been in situations that um, are certainly going to differ in many ways, but at the same time can also be equally. I mean, just because you're playing a club championship uh, and not uh, necessarily, you know, in a the players' championship. Um, doesn't mean that you don't feel pressure. So there's a uniqueness that your your instructors can bring uh, to their teaching uh, and a relatability, if you will, and on some level that maybe um, you know somebody that, as I mentioned earlier, about you know on some of these videos that they're seeing on online um, can't really relate and, and can't really understand or articulate, if you will. Um, so there's a certain uniqueness I think that your instruction is able to bring by by saying to the students, you know, I understand what it's like to be out on the golf course and be in a pressure situation like this, and here's how, you know, you know, I would suggest that you handle it or, or give them some mental, uh, you know, tests or, or what have you, if you will, uh, or pointers that they can use out in the golf course. Um, you know, a, a common phrase now is, is of course, self-talk. Um, you know, talking to, to, your, to yourself while you're navigating around the course, is that something that, that you subscribe to as well uh, in, in some of the mental aspects of your teaching? Well, actually, yes, but not in the way that people would imagine it. We actually want right. people to do what Mo Norman did. We want them to talk continually so that they don't think. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking right. to yourself, <laughs> you're thinking. 
And so it's like how you talk to yourself. So we teach people clear key, this methodology of carries, which is very unusual. Um, but mm-hmm. people do things best when they're doing it by rote. And they're doing it without thought. So we teach people how to actually not think, and they do that by talking all the time. So it's an, it's sort mm-hmm. of a uh, – yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, most all the players, if you examine them today, they have a routine – that's identical. Yes. That's something that Kerry was teaching 30 years ago. But they're also trying not to think. And there's a physical way to shut down and not do that. Um, and we show people actually how to do that We show, through what Kerry taught us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, golf, the biggest thing in golf, the, the, the biggest mistake that people make in golf is that they think too much. Yes. Well, it's I mean, been often said, if you're thinking you know, a couple of things, it's too many. Right. You know, Nicholas famously talked about as well that, uh, you know, the six inches between his ears were, you know, uh, what could do the most damage. It wasn't the clubs and it wasn't his golf swing. It was what was going on between his ears um, at any given time. And if he if he was not in the, the right mindset or the right mind frame, uh, he pretty much knew whether or not he was going to win a golf tournament when he got in there and started playing. He was able to... Uh, you know, because he knew what he needed to do to, to uh, you know, to navigate around the golf course. And when things weren't happening the way, it wasn't because he hit a bad shot. I mean, obviously he hit bad shots. Uh, that's going to happen with any level golfer. Tiger hit them and, and uh, you know, many of the others that we've, we've talked about tonight. Um, but it's how they handled those shots and what they did next um, that deci- was really a deciding factor. And the confidence that they were able to, you know, bring uh, to that particular round. If they were confident in their game and, and assured uh, of what was going to happen, um, you know, then they would, you know, and more often than not, be successful. Even if they didn't win the tournament, they would certainly be in the top uh, 10 or top 5 of, of the, the tournament. Um, but if things started, to, you know, the wheels started falling off the bus a little bit earlier, um, you know, as you said, uh, you know, a mental melt- meltdown happened and um, they just were not able to recover uh, in, in that particular game, uh, in that particular uh, tournament. Um, and obviously, this is something that you're helping your students with at the academies, correct? Yeah, I mean, we do. We work on that. But you know, again, to, to going back to something you'd mentioned earlier, Ted, about Nicholas, is that you know, and how he learned the game. He's a classic kind of individual because. You know, came out I think in 1962 on the PGA Tour and he'd obviously had this right. huge amateur career he almost won the US Open at Cherry Hills as an amateur when or uh, Palmer shot his you know great round at Cherry Hills but um mm-hmm. when he came out on tour he hit this high fade well nobody hit a high fade and so right. all these pros told him well you can't win hitting a high fade and Nicholas listened. And so, right. you know, he'd been taught by Jack Grout at his parents' club um, since he was maybe 10 or 11 years old. So in 1963, he hired this Scottish guy as his coach because he wanted to learn how to draw the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think 1963 or 62, well, one of those two years early on was the only year he didn't win a tournament. Right. And But he could hit a draw. And um, so, you know, he had this flying right elbow, but he tucked it in and he made all these changes. And he realized that after that year of changing to a draw, he couldn't hit the side of a barn. 
And so <laughs> with sort of the, his tail between his legs, he went back to Jack Grout. And Jack let him warm up. And then he said, well, hit a high fade with your driver. So, of course, Nicholas got out, and his right elbow comes out again, and he hits this massive, big, you know, high 15-yard fade. And Jack Grout watched him hit 10 of those shots and walked off the driving range. And Jack (laughs) Nicholas never had another coach of any existence. Well, he worked with um, a couple of guys later on in his life, but that didn't really matter. But throughout his whole life, he worked with Jack Grout. So he stuck with what he did is the point. And he deviated yeah, from I, it, but the greatest player in history did things a little bit differently, but he didn't de- deviate from them. Well, and, and that really goes back, sort of encompasses really what you talked about in the very beginning about you know the uniqueness of each individual and working with what, um, you know again, obviously there, there may be core fundamentals, and, but the, the fundamentals even might be slightly different for each individual person. As you, you point out with Mo, I mean, with having short fingers. Nicholas talked about as well about having sort of shorter and kind of stubbier fingers as well when when he uh, um, shot the video, you know, golf my way. He talked about that. So he he found a grip that worked for him and stuck with it. And I'm sure, as you said, when you know he went on and, and worked with somebody else there for that short period of time. I'm sure they were trying to make all kinds of changes that obviously were not conducive for um, Jack being, you know, the best uh, that he could be. And, uh, you know, he was obviously very smart in, in recognizing that and going back to, to what worked for him. Um, but maybe what worked for Jack might not have worked for Arnold Palmer or Lee Trevino or some of the other uh, greats of that time. They had to find their own uniqueness and what worked for them. And I think that's something, too, that's been missing here, and that's really what I was talking about with sort of lumping everybody into a box, is, um, you know, there's been too much of that over the last several years. And, you know, again, some golfers have been able to to grapple with that and and work through it, um, but a good many have not, and I think that's added to the frustration. But, um, Jay, it's been a very interesting interesting conversation uh, and getting some different perspective on, on the game, but I want to give you an opportunity as we as we get ready to wind up here, uh, just to talk a little bit more about uh, the Academy and, and, uh, and, and obviously your new location. It's, uh, is it open now, the new location at Turnberry? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been there for the past few months, and um, okay. it's amazing. It's just such a, it's just a iconic, great property with these two phenomenal golf courses. But, you know, we have 20 other locations all around the country, and we're – you know, what we do is very unique and very specialized. Um, we're, I'm so grateful to have this chance to come on your show and talk about golf with you. I mean, I'd love to talk about bird golf, but it's I love to also talk about people like Mo Norman and, um, right. you know, people who I revere, like Mr. Palmer and Jack Nicklaus and, um, you know, these great players and to examine their different idiosyncrasies as golfers. It's, um, it's a cool thing. But, you know, if somebody will give us Ted – three days of their time or four or five days of their time um, at any one of our locations with one of our amazing professionals, um, it's a game changer for them. And um, anybody's interested, I'd love them to go to our website. It's birdgolf.com. So it's B-I-R-D-G-O-L-F.com. But we'd love to have the chance to, to help somebody take their game to a new level. That's what we do, and we do it very passionately. Well, and, and I like the fact that again, uh, you know, we can't emphasize enough, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with what we've talked about tonight. I think that, 
you know, dealing with, with the golfers as individuals and, and looking and, and addressing their specific needs. And, and, and obviously, you know, with a little guidance and the right coaching, you can get them into um, their best game. And, and I like that strategy. And obviously this is something that you guys have done and that's why you've been successful at it uh, for so many years and, and continue to grow in that. And, and I'm glad that, uh, um, you know, that you've taken the opportunity. I'm glad that, uh, that your group reached out to me to, to come on the show. I appreciate that very much. And it's been very interesting having you on here. And um, again, for those tuning into the program tonight and those that will tune in later to the recorded version, um, go to birdgolf.com and you can learn more about uh, a little bit about the philosophy, but also um, some of the different locations. Maybe there's one in your particular area that, uh, uh, that you can, uh, or maybe you're going to be traveling here over the next few months and, and have some time. And, and it sounds like a great opportunity to, uh, to really help with your game. So go to birdgolf.com. Um, Jay, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It, it's certainly been interesting, and I'd love to have you come back on again. And, and please invite some of your fellow pros uh, from the academy if you want to come on, and, and uh, I'll let you guys pick a topic, and, and uh, we can come on and have a great conversation. I'd love to have you guys back. Well, it's, it's a privilege for us to have been on your show, Ted, and thank you for giving us that opportunity. And, yeah, we have some really special um, people that teach with us that, that, that I think you, you'd find really interesting, but we're very grateful to have had this opportunity and um, we'd love to have the chance to help your listeners with their games too. So thank you for um, giving us that forum and allowing us to, to, to present what we do. Well, my pleasure. And, and again, thank you uh, for doing what you're doing. Um, it's, it's refreshing, you know, to know that there's some great people. Uh, this is one of the things I love about the golf profession is just, uh, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm all the time with uh, with helping others, and that's really what it's all about. It's not just, you know, hitting, hitting great golf shots. It's helping others uh, to achieve their goals and and uh, and dreams uh, as well. And and uh, it's amazing what you can do. Um, you know, I've often said this so many times that golf and life parallel one another so very closely, and and I'm sure you realize that as well. And uh, it's just great, a uh, great profession to be a part of, and I enjoy it. And uh, it's always a pleasure interviewing uh, great folks like yourself. So thank you, Jay, for giving of your time. And uh, I look forward to you uh, coming back. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much, Ted. It's a privilege, as I said, and um, we, we're very grateful that you've had us on the show. So thank you very much for allowing us to be able to do that. Not a problem. You have a great evening, Jay, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ted. All right. Take care. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, Jay Ewing, uh, the CEO and Director of Instruction uh, for the Bird Golf Academy. Uh, Again, the website link is uh, www.birdgolf.com, and you can find it of all the uh, great locations and obviously a new location in South Florida, just uh, north of uh, Miami at the uh, uh, Turnberry uh, Resort. you can check that out, and I'm sure all the information is on their website. But uh, uh, thanks to my special guest, again, uh, Jay Ewing, for, for doing that and coming on the show and sharing uh, some great thoughts and some great stories uh, along the way as well. And uh, once again, a special thank you to uh, my earlier guests, uh, Bill Abrams and Catherine Roberts on the Coach's Corner panel for joining, uh, joining me this evening. I appreciate all of your thoughts and input as well, and uh, I look forward to having you guys uh, come back and, and join on future shows as well. Uh, but as always, uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of my listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live uh, each and every week. 
uh, as I've said so many, many times, I truly have a, a great amount of pleasure and, and get a lot of enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teach professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by. And it's really, uh, and I mean this sincerely, it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have really helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, also, don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, for the Women of Golf show with uh, LPGA professional Cindy Miller and myself uh, every Tuesday morning on blogtalkradio.com's Women of Golf, and that's from 9 to 10 Eastern, uh, just an hour show there, uh, where we feature some great ladies uh, uh, as well as uh, some men, but uh, mainly the ladies. Uh, and it's an opportunity really for a lot of women out there that uh, want to, to hear uh, what's going on in women's golf. Uh, Cindy and I have a, a uh, some great guests on each and every week, and we've got a couple of great guests coming on this uh, upcoming Tuesday um, that we'll we'll talk about more uh, as the days uh, move forward. But uh, um, we uh, hope that you would enjoy us uh, and join us there on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the Women of Golf here on the Blog Talk Radio dot net, uh, network. Um, but also, I want to thank uh, some of the spo- uh, sponsors and supporters uh, of this particular show, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, I've mentioned many, many times, a great publication here in the southeastern part of the United States from literally Texas right over here to Florida. It's southcoastgolfguide.com is the website link, and if you go there, you can learn more about it. Uh, but if you want a, a copy of the publication, it's a small pocket guide, but it's uh, a great publication. It's got a lot of great uh, golf courses uh, listed uh, through a lot of the various states here in the southeastern part of the United States. Maybe you're planning a trip here in the next uh, few months, or maybe you're already down here. Uh, if you go to uh, some of your local golf courses, or some of, uh, especially here uh, in Florida, if uh, if you go to some of the resorts, uh, many of them are carrying the publication. But if not, go to southcoastgolfguide.com. You can get information there, or you can have a publication sent to you. Uh, Jonathan will be more than happy to mail you a copy if you're planning on a trip to come down here and want to get an idea of some of the golf courses in the area that you can play. Uh, all the information is there that you can actually call the courses and book tee times uh, as well from the publication. So. Um, go to southcoastgolfguide.com and uh, check that out. Uh, also, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf, uh, a great young uh, uh, teacher professional, LPGA professional from uh, Myrtle Beach area. Uh, Meredith, thank you for all of your continued support uh, on the show as well. Uh, Mr. Nikki and his wife, Tiffany Litherland, thank you for all of your uh, support in helping spread the word of the show. And Mr. Bernie Pinder, of course, from Ontic Golf. He's the uh, uh, founder and president of Ontic Golf. Uh, go to onticgolf.com and you can uh, see uh, some great uh, putters that uh, Mr. Pinder has created over the years. Uh, and you can actually order right online if you're interested uh, some customized uh, putters to help your game. Uh, also, Sean Kelly uh, from linkedgolfers.com. Uh, great network on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, one of the premier golf uh, groups on LinkedIn. Uh, go to linkedgolfers.com and, and see some of the great work that he's doing there as well. And last but not least, certainly Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions from Ireland. Uh, thank you, Peter, for all of your continued support over the years as well. I appreciate that, my friend. He's a great uh, teacher professional as well as a uh, club fitter as well over in uh, Ireland. Thank you again, Peter, for all of your. Uh, but again, as I said, most importantly, thank you to the listeners for faithfully tuning in. So remember, Tuesday mornings, you can get us, uh, Cindy and I, on uh, the Women of Golf show on blogtalkradio.com's Women of Golf from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, standard time on Tuesdays and here Thursday nights uh, you can uh, get me 
uh, and all of my great guests here on Golf Talk Live Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on uh, golf uh, on the blogtalkradio.com network. You can tell I'm getting tired. Uh, so remember to join me next week. God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and I will see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>